Hey, thank you, Jim and Denise and Garrett and Cindy and uh, Peggy for leading us in the singing part of our worship today. And the uh, singing is part of our worship, and it's a fun part of our worship. And believe it or not, listening to a sermon is part of worship. Doesn't feel like it, does it? <laughs> but my part in the worship today has been with you in singing. And part of my, worship, of my worship to God today is to preach a sermon to you. And part of your worship to God is to give attendance, to give your attention to the hearing of the sermon. That's how worship is. That's, the, that's Christian worship. If you go to most uh, evangelical churches, you find the pulpit right in the, middle of the, right in the middle of the place. And sometimes it's a massive pulpit, which I'm a big fan of. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's a small pulpit, but it's always kind of in the middle in the evangelical church most of the time, because the preaching of God's word is the means that God has chosen to save sinners through the preaching, through the declaration of God's word. So let's, uh, let's take a look at God's word this morning. I was, I've been very nervous about this sermon all week long because Valerie was sick at the first part of the week. She wasn't feeling too well, and I wasn't sure she'd get this sermon done in time. <laughs> Well, you know, the Lord is good, <laughs> and uh, we got it. Well, today is a fresh start Sunday, and there's no better way to start than to start with Jesus. I feel like the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, where he said, I have desired or I have purposed to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the central message of of the Christian church, is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and to talk about Christ and to think about Christ and to love Christ and to worship Christ and acknowledge that Christ is the only Lord and Savior for sinners. It's the, it's the greatest truth you can possess. Sometimes we as Christians, we get so distracted by other things, we forget that the greatest gift we have ever received is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just the knowledge of historically or biographically, but the personal knowledge of Him, to know Him and the power of His resurrection, to know you've passed from death into light, to know you've been translated by the power of the Holy Spirit from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's the greatest news. And those who have been born again by the Spirit, they know that. And there's nothing big has taken place here. A bomb has gone off inside of me. And so I want to talk today, start with the Lord, all right? Let's make a fresh start on Fresh Start Sunday by talking about the most important person in the world, that being our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let's, let's have a prayer together before we start. Dear Father, I pray that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit, that you would give me his help, Lord, to make plain these wonderful truths to these my friends who are here today. I pray that everyone would leave here today thinking and being very happy about Jesus. If there's anything that would keep that from being the forefront of our minds, I pray you would take it from us. And we pray you'll bless your gospel. We pray you would save sinners this day. We ask you that you would rekindle love and devotion in the hearts of Christians who may have experienced their love towards you growing cold. We pray that you would rekindle the flame. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen. Now let's start with a question this morning. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning, so if you... uh, The words are different, but the sense is the same, right? Colossians chapter 1, 
verses 15 to 18. I, I gave somebody the, the text for today early in the week, and I've changed that text about three times. <laughs> so, so anyway, Colossians 1.15, who is Jesus? And why is he worthy of our worship? Have you ever heard, you ever, you, ever, you ever went to a place and saw somebody kind of strutting around, kind of acting like they own the joint, and thought, who does he think he is? Who exactly does he think he is? Well, I want to tell you this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus, Jesus and tell you who exactly Jesus is. And as we read this passage, I want you to notice two words, he is. He is in this reading. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 18. It says that he is, it's talking about Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. Some translations say by him and for him. All things were made for his own personal glory and pleasure. For him, by his design, by his purpose. For his joy. Verse 17. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. (laughs) This is what Jesus has done for you. He has come into this world, he made this world, and then he entered this world so that he could take you filthy, rotten, wretched sinners and make you holy and clean and acceptable to him. A few people said amen because I think they understand. (laughs) The rest of you do understand. I know you're just holding it in. (laughs) Man, Jesus has done a huge work for us. Now, I don't know you guys hardly at all, and you don't know me hardly at all, but I know me really well. And inside this body, this glorious dad bod, (laughs) is a thug, a bad person, a person whose thoughts are bad, a person whose ambitions are bad. A sinner of the first degree. That's me. And Jesus came into this world to reconcile me to God through himself. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Jesus has come to make this sinner one of God's sons. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, Paul tells us that because of Jesus, that we, because of Jesus' work in this world, that we have a new knowledge of people. Paul says there, we know no man according to the flesh, although we have known them by the flesh. And we knew Jesus by the flesh, but now we know him no more that way. Because Paul is saying that in Christ, because of the new birth, we, we look at people differently. Now, I'm a Christian, and I hope that everybody here is a Christian. And I can say that as a Christian, my, when I look at other people, I don't see them in the same way I did before I was a Christian. Because before I was a Christian, I would always measure people and categorize them. You know, good dude, bad dude, good girl, bad girl, slimy, no good. You know, I put people in categories. You have to kind of discern people around you, right? Try to figure out who you can trust and who you can't trust. But now as a Christian, when I look at people, regardless of how they appear to me, there's something that says that person has a soul that needs to be redeemed. And then when I know somebody who has become a Christian, I don't see them as they were. I see them as they are now in Christ. And how are we in Christ? We're glorious. We're perfect. We've received imputation. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 4. That by faith we've received the imputation, the putting on of righteousness that is not our own. Receiving something from Jesus. I was over in a town called Louisiana, Missouri one time. And they sang this kooky little song that at the time I thought, this is a redneck classic right here. But <laughs> looking back, it was better, th- better than I thought, right? It was, oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off them old robes and put on the new. (laughs) Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do, (laughs) over and over. Oh, they're saying that the best thing ever happened to them was when they got righteousness that wasn't their own. They had robes of sinfulness. They were sinful people. But then they met Jesus, and he gave them new robes, new clothes, new cleanliness, a new status with God. Paul says because of him in 2 Corinthians 5, because of Jesus, we have a new status with God. Our status with God has changed because of Jesus. Jesus has changed our connection with God. Paul goes on to say in verse 20 of that chapter that in light of that knowledge, we have a new purpose as Christians in this world. And That's a passage where Paul says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ and we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God ambassadors for Christ. Though we as Christians, we're not here living our own life for our own joy, although we, God does let us have a lot of joy in this life, doesn't he? I mean, we're here in northern Michigan, right? It's beautiful. A lot of fishing, a lot of hunting, a lot of nice trees, a lot of nice weather, except from October to March. <laughs> is that's what everybody keeps telling me. <laughs> But our primary purpose in this world as God's people is to be ambassadors, to represent God to the world in which we live, to take Jesus to the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is maybe the greatest text in all of the Scripture where it says that God hath made Jesus, for he hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came 
and took upon himself the collective guilt of all who would believe. Died on the cross in their place. Died as their substitute. And all who put their faith in his death, burial, and resurrection have everlasting life. All who put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection have everlasting life. Put anywhere else, it's the wrong place. So my friends, we who are born again, we who are saved, we are the object object of God's love, His mercy, and His grace. And our message to the world that we live in, to a world that is perishing, a world that is dying, a world that is on fire, our message is that Jesus saves and Jesus can save because He is the Creator Savior. He has made this world. He has the power. Now, when you start to talk to people about Jesus, there's two reactions to that. One is they like Jesus, and then the other one is they don't like Jesus. Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came to the world to save sinners. If you take your Bible, if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to John chapter 3. John 3, 16. Listen to this reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God, now don't miss this in verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Why do people get mad at Jesus? Why do people find Jesus Jesus offensive? Because he brings light into the world, and that light reveals two things. It reveals their sin and their self-righteousness. I like this little track. I gave it to Jim this week, and it's not something I wrote, but I gave it to him to do some work, work, work on it for me. But that track, it says something striking. It says that your self-righteousness is more apt to keep you from God than your sinfulness. Self-righteousness. Because you don't think you need Jesus. You don't think you need a Savior. You think you're okay. You measure your, you look around at your community, you look around at your family, and you measure yourself. You measure yourself by them. Come here. Oh, I'm not going to have Matt do it. Matt will be too nervous. But if I were to say, I'm the tallest male in the room. If I said that, and then I said, and I had Matt come stand beside me. See? Male, male. What if I had Jeff Cooper come up? I'm the tallest male in the room. What would the answer, would I be telling the truth or a lie? I'd be telling a lie. I'd be false because I'm measured by the wrong standard. The standard we're measured by is not other people. It's not ourself. It's not your pastor. 
It's God himself. If you want to go to heaven, you got to be as holy as God. If you want to go to heaven, you got to be as holy as God. How are you going to be that holy? God is holy. And the Bible tells us that God does not change. So whatever holiness God possesses, he's always possessed it. And you could decide, today I'm going to be holy. But what about, what, what about your past? What about the life you've lived so far? You can't go back. We, we see this in the authorized version sometimes in the presence of these, these words, these last three words, E-T-H, F. And so in Leviticus, it says that he that continueth in these things. We would say continues in these things. Is that if you're going to be holy, as holy as God is, it has to be in the perfect tense, never changing, always constant. So you could decide today you're going to keep the Ten Commandments. How many of you think you keep the Ten Commandments? At least externally, how many of you think you could keep them? I could. I've been obeying the one, thou shalt not murder, for a long time. <laughs> Externally. <laughs> you can keep the Ten Commandments on the outside, but you can't keep them on the inside. Because the Bible says in Proverbs that the thought of foolishness is sin. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, if a dude looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's already done what? He's already committed adultery already. If you have hate in your heart towards other, it's there. Jesus comes to make us righteous. People don't like Jesus because he comes with the light of the truth and he reveals to them both their sin and their unrighteousness. He's a powerful light in the world. Harry Ironside, who was a pastor of Moody Church from 1929 to 1948, in his commentary on the Philippians, he talks about the... the, uh, the I couldn't, I couldn't find my commentary on Philippians to verify this, <laughs> to be sure what word he used exactly, but it's not, the moving messes you all up, man. Moving does. And you know, books are strung across everywhere. And uh, I haven't seen Michael in my office. I know my books haven't been stolen. <laughs> but I'm not here. <laughs> Ironside says that at Philippi, at the dish market, the dish market, the market where they're selling plates, ceramics, they had a very white clay there, and these dishes were very white. And that, you know, when you, when you bake those things, they crack sometimes. When they cure them, they crack. And in that market, the dealers, because you know how dealers are, they would fill all those cracks with white wax and then sell them, as you know, grade A. Ironside says, Ironside says the only way you could tell which ones were cracked and which ones weren't was to hold one of those things up to the sunlight and then the, the wax would kind of glow or turn a yellow and you could see the cracks. You see, you and I, we think we are so wonderful, we're so great, we're so good, but when you hold us up to the light of the sun, to Jesus, well, the cracks are obvious. You ever been with your wife? Any of you guys ever been shopping with your wife, anybody? I have. Have you ever experienced this? Your wife, she puts on a dress or some kind of outfit, and she goes, oh, I love this mirror. (laughs) 
I need marriage counseling. <laughs> next, the interest, intercessory prayer next week will be me. <laughs> because we, like, we don't want to know the truth about ourselves. We don't want to know the truth. I, I, I describe myself as happy-go-lucky. And I tell Valerie, I said, don't you think I'm happy-go-lucky? No. <laughs> Morose, <laughs> brooding, yes. <laughs> happy-go-lucky, no. We don't, the, we don't like the truth about ourselves, but when you compare yourself to Jesus, he's the standard. He's the final judge of all things. He's going to judge all men and all women in the last day. And compared to Jesus, you don't measure up. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, I think, or 13 to 15, says this about Jesus. That he was made like you and me. And he was tempted in all points like we are. In all areas, tempted. But he never sinned. Not in thought, not in word, not in deed. He never sinned. That's how perfect you got to be to go to heaven. And you don't measure up. You don't measure up. And God the Father knew you could never measure up, so he sent someone in, into the world to help you. He sent a Savior. He sent a Deliverer. He sent a Creator, Savior, King in this world, and his name is Jesus, and only Jesus can give you what you need to get to heaven. Only Jesus can give you eternal, unending righteousness, and he gives it to you for free. Free, no strings, 100% free. Gives it to you for free. Now, we all are Americans. We say, nah, there's got to be a catch somewhere, right? Got to be a catch somewhere. There is no catch. It's simple faith in Jesus. Calling upon Christ to be your Savior. Remember when John the Baptist first saw Jesus in John chapter 1? He said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away something. You guys all know it's sin. He didn't come to take away social injustice. He didn't come come to take away fear of pandemics. He didn't come to make everybody... I started to say something political, but I'm not going to do it. I'll just do it. I mean, what's... Who cares, right? He didn't come to make everybody an, an R or a D. He came to take away sins. And we as Christians, we get focused on all that other stuff, don't we? It's the sins. Jesus has come to take away your sins. Your sins. So we, you don't know my sins. I don't. God does. And he knew before he ever made you the sins you'd commit. He sees what sins you're in right now. That's Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. When we, were in, we, when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us so that we can be reconciled to him through his son. Jesus is the savior of sinners. And the question is, Are you a sinner? Are you going to come clean and admit that you're a sinner? Now, the good news of the gospel is only good news for sinners. Only good news for sinners. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 says the following. 
It is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. <laughs> Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you're here today and you think, Jesus, I'm going with Jesus because, you know, I'm worthy to go with Jesus, or I'm fairly righteous, I'm good enough to, to get in, it's Jesus plus me. No, no. It's only Christ that saves. It's only Christ that saves. Now you may say, well, I don't know if I really am a sinner. I don't know if I really fit the bill. Well, there are some helpful lists in the New Testament that will show this to you. One, two, three, four, five lists. Sinners are everywhere, aren't they? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best list. Let's just go with Romans. Listen to Romans 1. This is Romans chapter 1. Verse 26. There's a, there's a sentence that starts in the middle of verse 26. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, I don't want you, don't, don't focus, those, those, those are big things in 27, 28. I want you to notice 29, because 29 is going to fit 90% of us, 29 through 30. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteousness, God's righteous decree, and those who practice such things deserve to die. You say, well, I've never, I'm not, I'm not in any of that stuff. Look, look at the last part of verse 32. And and they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The authorized version actually renders this slightly different, where it says, who find pleasure in their evil deeds. And, and, and I've always found that verse to be very convicting. Because I like to watch TV. How about you? I, I grew up watching John Wayne and Chuck Norris, you know. You know what John Wayne said about Chuck Norris? I never heard of her. <laughs> I like to watch I like to watch shoot 'em ups. 
I like to see the bad guy get it. I mean, I, I like to watch stuff that you like to watch. And, and stuff we like to watch, often there's just a bunch of people doing sins, isn't it? This is pretty, the scope here is, mag, is massive. If you want to write these, here's these passages, you can write them down. You can look at them later on your own. You, you want to, if, you want to, if you say, I'm not, this list didn't quite have my particular thing, write these down. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Ephesians 5, 3 to 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. And Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Now, in Matthew 22, Jesus kind of sums it all up by saying that if you don't love God perfectly and your neighbor is yourself, you're not going to go to heaven. It's very condemning. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. I've heard this from people so many times. I love God. I love God. But what Jesus says when he, when he says this to us is, do you love God perfectly? Perfectly. We all came here to worship God today, right? How many of you came here with a perfect attitude? How many of you got this morning, and the first thing on your thought in your mind was, hallelujah, I get to go to church today? Well, we all know the answer to that, don't we? You don't love God perfectly. You may say, well, you know, I could tick off a few of those sins there in Romans. I could put my, little, I put my, my, I put my initials by some of them, but, but not all of them, not those real bad ones. James 2.10 says if you've broken one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. It's a package deal. Remember in Luke chapter 18, these two guys go up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, one is a, uh, a tax collector. And the Pharisee, he looks at the tax collector and he, and he says to God, God, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. Thank you that I'm not like this guy. I'm clean. I fast. I give. I go to the temple. I'm a great person. Lord, thank you for not making me a beast like this guy. And the publican, the Bible says, wouldn't even look up to heaven. He just looks down and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, it's the one who will not look towards heaven, who confesses his guilt and says, God, be merciful to me. Jesus said, that man went home justified, not the other guy. Jesus is is the Savior of sinners. So there's good news, but only for sinners. Good news for Jesus. Good news from Jesus for sinners. Well, let's end the sermon. Are you all in favor of ending the sermon? Be seated. Okay, motion passes. How do we get saved? My dad said when he first heard the gospel in a church, he grew grew up in a Pentecostal holiness group. My grand, that's where his grandparents took him. And, and they all, every Sunday, they said, do, do, do. Do this and do that. My dad said, I would go forward at the, at the invitation time, and they would all gather around me and lay hands on me. And some guy would say, pray through. One guy would say, let go. Another guy would say, hang on. He said, just all these conflicting voices telling me to do something. Then he went to a church called Bible Baptist Church where Tom Pullen was preaching. And Tom Pullen preached. My, my dad said, he hung me over hell on a hair. He said, and I knew I was going to hell. He said, and he said, then when he got to the end of the sermon, he told us what we should do to be saved. And he said, I decided that whatever he said do, I was going to do. If he said go outside, climb up on the steeple and jump off, I was going to do it. I was willing to do anything to be saved. And he said, to my shock and joy, Tom Pullen said, believe. 
Believe that Jesus died for you. Believe that Jesus' blood was shed for you. And that's what it takes. Faith in Jesus. Imagine you're out here in the lake. Just to illustrate this for you. Imagine you're out here in, in the lake. And you got two rowboats. And you got a foot in each one. One of them is full of holes. And the other one has no holes. Well, if you stay like that, what's eventually going to happen to you? The one full of holes is going to sink. It's going to disappear beneath the waves and you're going to go with it. You're going to tip over and fall. But the boat with holes in it, that's you. Full of holes and sin and you're perishing. You're sinking out of sight. But the other boat with no holes that's perfect and whole is Jesus. And as long as you have one foot on Christ and one foot in that holy boat, you're going to perish. And what you need to do is jump in the boat that says Christ on it. Because Christ can save you. Nobody else can. I can't save you. Nobody in this church can save you. But Jesus can save you if you will call out to him. And that's what it's going to take. You have, you have to call out to him. I got five kids. I love them all. You guys love your kids? If I could get saved for them, I would. If I could get saved for them, if I could do it, I would. If, if the Bible said fathers who cut off their right arms can have their children go to heaven, I'd whack it off right now. Right here in front of God and everybody. If it said cut off both arms and both legs, I'd cut them all off. Because I want them to go to heaven. If I could do all the work of getting them saved, I would do it. If I could get all of you people saved, I'd do it. I hope I would. You have to call on Jesus yourself. Nobody can do it for you. You have to do it. From the oldest man to the youngest boy, from the oldest lady to the youngest girl, you have to call on Christ yourself. From a heart that's sincere. For with the heart man believes in the salvation, and with the mouth confession is made. Call on Christ while you can. Believe that Jesus died for you. Can you trust Jesus to save you? Absolutely. Remember Colossians 1.15? Who made the world? Jesus did. Who's keeping it all together? Jesus is. Who has said, whosoever will call upon me shall be saved? Who said that? The Creator Savior. You can trust Him. Call Upon Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. They're going to come and lead us in a song in just a minute. This is a song that I chose. But I want you to know something. If you're here right now, call upon Jesus this moment. Say, Lord Jesus, save me. God, be merciful me a sinner. In some way, ask him to save you. And he will. And if after church is over, if you need somebody to talk to, I'm going to be around here. i got a name tag and everything. Come and talk to me. Talk to any of the deacons. 
We can t- show you what God's word says. Won't be any, won't be any new information. We'll just tell you once again, it's Jesus and Jesus only. Father, bless this time to our hearts, we pray. In Christ's holy and glorious name we ask it. Amen.